1: I had a war chest of about $3.5 million. Mark Martin is strapping into his trolley. Based life. on what we had going on, I had enough money to do it for two years. Mark Martin, Martin from Beach door. Bill France Jr. gave me and Mark Martin an application to the 1988 Daytona 500. And
2: not enough can be said for these guys that built this team from the ground up in two years.
1: But if I didn't win a race, if I had, didn't show a Blue Sky to, to potential sponsors that wanted to get on board, there was an end in, in sight to my, uh, to my NASCAR career. The Motor Racing Network presents...
0: The many hats
1: of Jack Roush. Mark Martin drives up high out of
3: turn number four, comes out of the corner, and every person in this grandstand is cheering him on. He comes down, and he will win the AC Delco 500. It has been a long, hard road for Mark Martin. I, butted head, and
2: I had butted heads with Jack Roush, but I butted head with Jack a lot early in the years, but we made it. And we did it together.
3: Jeff Burton wins at Daytona. He takes the 40-second Pepsi 400.
2: Everything that I do in my racing and, and uh, you
1: know, when my son's racing and stuff, I always one of the decisions I'm making always go through my mind, What would you know, what would
4: Jack do?
0: Carl Edwards is a first-time winner in the NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series. They
4: did not hold one thing back from me. We gave it the best effort, and I think that's very noble, and I'm honored to be associated with him. From
0: the Motor Racing Network Studios in Concord, North Carolina... Here is your host, Woody Kane. Thank you for joining us on this episode of MRN Presents, The Many Hats of Jack Roush. On this show, we'll cover the new millennium. For the year 2000 to the end of the decade, Roush Racing enjoyed some of its most successful years to date. In that time span, major company mergers not only changed on track performance, but the very face of the organization itself. When the '90s ended and the new millennium began, Roush Racing had five full-time race teams, with the newest member being a rookie named Matt Kenseth. Kenseth is not done yet with a great move. He powers to the bottom of Sterling. At Portland.
5: the time, um, you know Jeff Burton was was being real successful there with the the team that Buddy Parrott and uh, Frankie Stoddard and all those guys kind of kind of built for that. I guess Buddy more than anything. And um, and I think Mark's team was just in the process of moving to Mooresville by by, by those guys, and um, they both uh, they both had a lot of success. They had a big team at the time. I think Chad Little and and uh, Kevin Page were driving other cars at the time, um, I believe. And uh, but Mark and uh, Mark and Jeff, those two once they got together in the same building, they uh, they they won a lot of races, and they were always uh, they were always contenders. So it was an
0: exciting time to be part of that and try to learn. Although Roush Racing had five teams. Information in those days wasn't always shared between them. That dynamic
5: has changed a lot through the years. I mean, like when I first got there, you know Frankie Sauter was Jeff Burton's crew chief and and Jimmy was Mark's and and um I knew those guys lied to each other right I knew that like they told each other most things but Jack had certain rules he's like look you got to share you know I I, I don't know you got to share all your aero stuff and your chassis build and I'm kind of making this up by the way I don't know exactly what it was but I'm I'm gonna you got to share these five things but you don't have to share your springs and shocks and you don't have to share this setting but you do have to share this set, you know so they kind of had rules uh, about what they had to share and what they didn't and some of so they didn't have to share they didn't you know they won't necessarily tell each other what's going on and, and and through the years that kind of changed into you know which me being a racer I thought some of that was good to get you to race against each other and to make yourselves go faster but um certainly through the years and where we are today it's just uh, totally opposite it's very transparent and um you know, you can even look at other drivers' data now that NASCAR lets you see. So it's uh, it's incredibly transparent compared to what it used to be. There used to be a lot more uh, little tricks of the trade. It would give experienced drivers little advantages by certain things they did in a car and things like that, where now uh, if you spend enough time, you can go see it all yourself.
0: Throughout the 90s, it was Mark Martin and Jeff Burton leading the way for Roush Racing, but at the turn of the century, new names on the roster started to break into Victory Lane. In 2000, Kenseth won his first cup race in the Coca-Cola 600 at Charlotte Motor Speedway. Later that same year, he would claim the 2000 Rookie of the Year title. The following year, a new face was added with Kurt Busch. In 2002, he brought Jack Roush Four more victories.
6: Scotty Benson has tried everything possible, but it looks like he will come up a little bit short. Kurt Busch is going to win the Old Dominion 500, his second career NASCAR Winston Cup victory, and it comes like the first one did on a short track. Jack Roush, for the seventh time this season, you're going to victory lane. What about that young driver of yours? Uh,
1: uh, Kurt Busch is just awesome. This Rubbermaid team did a great job today. You know, we didn't have a very good car for qualifying, and this has not been one of Kurt's better racetracks, but they put it together. Together here, somehow.
6: He's been awfully good on the half miles, getting his first career win earlier in the year at Bristol. Today he makes it win number two. Kurt Busch wins a thriller in the Old Dominion 500 at Martinsville.
0: In 2003, Greg Biffle won his first cup race during his rookie season with Jack Roush, at Daytona International Speedway. Does Greg Biffle have enough
6: fuel? He's in the backings of three, headed to turn number four. Greg Biffle looking for his first ever win. He'll lead off of turn four. Chevrolet has won 11 of the last 17 Winston Cup races at Daytona. Tonight, it's going to be Ford, and it's going to be a rookie. Greg Biffle wins the Pepsi 400, a tremendous upset tonight. Jack, if you had to bet on one of your
1: teams winning tonight, would this have been the one? Uh, this is the one, you know. We're anxious for the get the the... The uh, 16 on track and the 99 on track. We're just so glad that uh, we were able to run clean and uh, we didn't have any problems. And uh, I can't be happier for Randy Goss. He's been under a tremendous amount of pressure being a young crew chief, and uh, they put it together tonight.
0: Also in the 2003 season, Roush Racing managed to win six times, but just one of those came from Matt Kenseth. Through consistency, he claimed the first Cup Series title for Roush Racing, In fact, he did it a week early at the North Carolina Motor Speedway in Rockingham. Bill Elliott with the lead. No challengers as he works it through turns one and two. Less than a lap away from the win. Matt Kenseth less than a lap away from the championship. He is the 2003 and what will be called the final NASCAR Winston Cup Series champion.
5: Matt Kenseth, congratulations. Thanks. Just uh, unbelievable. You know, it's, it's beyond my wildest dreams. I'd ever thought I'd ever have the opportunity to sit in one of these cars, much less be the champion. So um, I'm just so appreciative to my team, uh, my owners, my sponsors, everybody that, that puts this thing together. I'm just uh, real lucky. There's thousands of race car drivers out there, I'm sure, that it could do a better job than I have. And not many people get this opportunity. And I'm just uh, real thankful to be in, in good equipment with good people working on it. Yeah, I mean, everybody's goal when they. they you know start racing at any level is to win races and ultimately try to win a championship so um you know that was the first one you know for jack i think that was probably his um I don't know how many years he was in the sport at the time, 15 or something like that probably. So uh, so that was the first one he was able to win. I know he's had some some heartbreak. One thing that Jack's rubbed off on me a little bit, unfortunately, is that he uh, always agonizes over the losses much more than he celebrates the victories. And, and I have a little bit of that problem I'm learning as I get older and, and kind of step away somewhat. Um, you know, so... You know, to win that I think was was very gratifying for him and, and satisfying all that stuff. But I still think you know he always always dwells on the ones he lost and he, he should have won in a way. So, um, but yeah, it was it was fun to get that you know for Jack and for the company.
1: Jack Roush, first time championship, congratulations. Well, you know I, I'm kind of in shock over the whole deal. Like I said earlier, it's kind of like breaking through a plate glass window. It's a lot of pain getting through it. I don't know what it's going to be like on the other side, but I've been looking through the window for a while.
0: Are you a little bit surprised that it was Matt Kenseth in this team and not Mark Martin or Jeff Burton to capture this
1: championship? Well, we thought it was sure thought we had a chance or a good chance with Mark last year, and we came out just a little bit short for a number of reasons.
7: Well, my first thought was it should have been Mark. You know, we by that time we've had uh, two or three uh, second place finishes for him, and I never thought that that somebody else that followed Mark. Uh, Matt Kenseth certainly was capable and able, and in many ways he was. Uh, more effective championship racer than Mark was by the time he won the championship I don't think we'd want a race and uh, he was just good at capitalizing on whatever he had under him and if it was a second place car a third place car he'd finish with it if it was a tenth place car he wouldn't try to run fifth with it and 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 crash it so uh, so Mark was a or rather Matt was a great points racer and that was the reason he did win a race before the season was over but uh, it was only one, I think, and, uh, and uh, it was a surprise to me that uh, we hadn't won with Mark before we uh, won with, uh, with Matt.
0: In the wake of winning the Cup Series title in 2003, Jack Rausch made a big decision to merge his engine program with longtime rival Robert Yates to form... Roush-Yates Engines.
6: If you've been following the news coming out of Speed Weeks over the last week or so, you know the Fords have had a bit of a revival after merging the efforts of Robert Yates Racing and Jack Roush Racing. Ford getting involved there and forming what Jack Roush has referred to as a modern day Holman and Moody operation and it's shown...
7: There was a time when the Holman and Moody was building their uh, programs and uh, when the uh, Chevrolet was helping Junior Johnson uh, and uh, the, the, the the chrysler was helping richard petty the center of engine knowledge and and judgment for uh, you know, optimization of power was detroit you know they they uh, had the dynamometers they had the the flow stands for the cylinder heads and intake manifolds yeah, that's where the good parts came from and that's where the good people were located that knew how to make the engines make more power but those were uh, those were uh, production based engines just uh, many of the pieces went down the same machining lines as they did for production cars. By 2000 that had changed, 2005 that had changed to the Detroit no longer being the center of, of, of engineering excellence as it related to engines. It was coming from Europe. It was flowing from Formula One. Little of it may have been coming from Car racing, but mostly it came from the engine builders that were in in, in England or in Germany. And uh, the point of entry was not coming back through Detroit and going through the production car uh, systems. It was going to, uh, to Charlotte and coming in through the uh, stock car racing for the purpose of supporting the teams. So I looked at that for t- ten years or so. I, uh, I, I, I I built the engines in Detroit, and I had. I was the engine guy. I was the guy that would keep, worry about engines all night and design camshafts in my sleep. And I had my own valve springs that I designed uh, from a valve spring design book that we used, and a number of other teams used that they were friends of mine at the time. But uh, I, I decided that I was going to need to come to to Charlotte to to get the right flow of people and the beast where the. But well, the information was coming in, if somebody from, from uh, Formula One team was in town, they would typically not go to see one team. They'd typically visit a number of teams. So I wanted to get down here and get involved in the mainstream, so I let it be known that I was getting ready to move my operation to Charlotte. And Robert Yates and I had not been friends. We respected one another, but we had not been friends. We'd been arch, arch rivals, competitors. The only time we typically spoke to one another was we'd exchange pleasantries at, uh, at banquet time for uh, celebrating the championship. We would, with our tuxedos and our wives around, we would be nice to one another. But except for that, we never acknowledged one another's presence. I think it was probably in the fall of that year, the year that preceded our going to Daytona, somebody tapped me on the shoulder and I looked around and it was Robert and I said what I do? I thought myself I said what did I do to him you know and he says Jack he said I understand you're getting ready to to, to set up a shop in Charlotte and I said yeah I'm coming I says, I'm going to compete with you for people and for for ideas that flow from uh, from Europe he says well he said I built an in, I built a shop that's way too big for me he says if you'll be my partner he says I'll be partners to the dirt with you and he says we'll do this thing together and so that year, uh, I I, uh, I had a I had a carburetor flow bench that he didn't have, and I had some machining equipment to replicate the intake manifolds and cylinder heads, port configurations that was not uh, down here. Something that I had initiated. So I moved my machining equipment, I moved my carburetor flow bench, I moved my best people down into a building that was his that I, I paid for half of, and. Uh, we went to the Daytona 500 that year, and we sat on the pole and uh, front row on the pole, first and second qualifiers. And uh, Kurt Busch won a championship in a route with a Roush H engine that year. Matt Kenseth won the championship the year before with a Roush engine. But uh, it was the first year we won a championship, and we looked we, things have been great. The, the The untold secret is that if it hadn't have been for if I had Doug Yates being my son rather than uh, the rather than Roberts, I probably would have been more selfish with him and not been willing to share him. But uh, D- Doug's potential and having seen him work and realizing how smart he was made me uh, want to have Doug be on my side rather than be uh, be uh, at at odds with him like I'd been his father.
0: According to Mark Martin, that merger was a win-win for Jack
2: Roush and Robert Yates. It was a pretty big deal because Robert. had a history all the way back into the 70s of making horsepower, you know, 70s and 80s. Big horsepower. He was notorious for making horsepower. Plenty of reliability, and he knew NASCAR better than people that we could get to work in Michigan knew NASCAR. And so to build engines in Michigan puts you at a disadvantage from that standpoint. If you learned and got ahead of everybody you might have could have, you could have held on to it better, but in order to get ahead of Robert Yates, that was going to be quite a challenge. You, there's can't be enough said about understanding and being immersed in NASCAR and the culture. Robert had such an advantage from that uh, from being you know in the garage every weekend forever. And working and building co- engines for stock cars, uh, for that particular application, and on top of that, he was just really, really good at it. So, what putting it together meant was is that you could bring the things that they did really, really well at Jack's, uh, Jack's knowledge, thought process, and some of the people at Jack's uh, engine facility in in Michigan to bring all that to the table with Robert and put that together. And together they would be better than they would be separately. Eddie Wood, co-owner of the legendary
0: Wood Brothers team, remembers how the merger helped all the Ford teams. That was a really big deal. Um, You know, when Ford Motor Company decided to do that,
6: you know, you had Robert was building engines, Jack was building engines and, you know, a couple more that weren't quite as big as them. Um, and it's got to a point that it's just, it just—it was so hard, and it just looked like with those two guys, with you know the, the te- technology and the, the quality of people they had at that time, why not put those two teams together and make one one set of horsepower? You know, and and it worked obviously, and uh, you know there's never been any hitches since that started. You know, that's what or whenever, you know, we're looking 14, 15 years ago and uh, what it's grown into now. But as soon as that started, everybody got better. You know, it helped the Roush guys. It helped us. It
0: helped Robert and Doug. It helped everybody. Rusty Wallace says the Alliance forced other manufacturers to step up their game.
3: I think that pretty well everybody knew that Jack Roush was one smart engine guy and had all the resources to build anything you ever wanted to build with a Ford engine or any type of engine for that matter. But in the garage area, everybody always knew that Robert Yates and his son, Doug, were horsepower designers. They could really build some big horsepower in those Ford engines. And so if you take what Roush knew about durability and design and what he can build and take that intelligence of building high-end horsepower like the Yates's were always known for, and you put that together, That did kind of put the fear of God through the whole entire garage area because everybody went, oh, my gosh, these guys are going to build some serious power. And I tell you what, they really forced everybody to go to work. I mean, I remember Hendrick going to work hard. I remember our team, you know, the Penske guys going to work hard, designing different types of engines. He did the same thing with Richard Childress, made everybody work harder because now you had the money and the durability. A Ford Motor Company, Jack Roush, and Robert Yates together. Man, that was was pretty big.
0: The merger produced 10 wins that first year between both organizations, including a second consecutive championship for Roush Racing. Kurt Busch not being pressured. Here's Biffle coming into the corner. Greg Biffle all by himself. Biffle's going to win the battle, and Busch will win the war.
6: Greg Biffle coming off turn four, down on the start-finish line. He's been the strongest man all day. He'll win the season-ending Ford 400 in a Ford, fifth is Kurt Busch, and he is the NASCAR Nextel Cup Series champion.
4: You know that that ten-week run, it was it was magical. Um, we we started off with a win at Loudon and set the tone. Um, then it was when we first picked up the points lead in the playoffs. Dale Jr. was, um, you know, cuss He cussed. He had a bad word in a, in a live interview after the Talladega race, and so they docked him points. I'm like, wow, this year is starting to turn our way because if they're docking Dale Jr. points in the playoffs and then the most horrific, terrible crash happened with uh, the Hendrick plane and Jimmy Johnson just went on a tear after that. I mean, that, that's when this it was so magical for them as well. And everything came down to Homestead and uh, Jack's prep speech. Jack Roush's prep speech was, all right, boys, you came this far. Try not to F it up. <laughs> I'm like, oh, what? That was it? That was the Jack Roush pep talk? And then, you know, afterwards when we won, it, it's it's one of those feelings of pure bliss, enjoyment, and teamwork. And the teamwork side of it is what I remember most. And Jimmy Fenning's group of guys. And even the, like Robbie Reiser and Matt Kenseth. Mark Martin's group of guys and the way that Jeff Burton was there, everybody seemed to just rally around that 97, and that's, that's what was special. Throughout the decade, success followed
0: with new names like Biffle and Carl Edwards. In 2005, the organization was able to put all five teams among the 10-driver chase for a championship. In spite of the operation hitting on all eight cylinders, it was a bittersweet time for Mark Martin. After 19 years of full-time competition at NASCAR's highest level, Martin wanted to step down to a lighter schedule.
2: Um, I, I wanted to do, I initially thought I'd go truck racing because I wanted to do a partial cup schedule and Jeff Smith just like, can't do it, can't do it, can't sell it, can't do it. I mean, there wasn't wasn't even ever a discussion. I never even had a conversation with Jack about it because it was going nowhere. Because Jeff Jeff Smith said it was going nowhere. Couldn't be done. So, okay, I'll do a truck deal. That's good. That's great. That's the amount of races that I want to run. That's, I love Mike Bean. I'll do that. Let's do that. Okay. We'll do it. And, you know... And goes on and on and on and on and I never get, you know, we've all we've agreed to everything, but there's no paperwork. And goes on and 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 gets right down, you know, late in the year, ain't no, ain't no paperwork, and I get an offer to do exactly what the hell I want to do, everything, pick the races. We got sponsor, we got backing, we got a great race team, we got everything you want, and you run the races you want to run. We don't tell you what you, nothing, you know? And so I write down, I make out a schedule, and I tell them what I will and won't do, and fine, we produce a piece of paper that that's on a Saturday and on Wednesday I got a piece of paper to sign so I signed it and I didn't it was it just happened like that I mean I just you know I would have signed a truck contract if I'd have got one you know and then I would have had the offer to 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 drive the 1 car and I said I can you know I mean it' just been that Cut and simple. I always did what my contract said. Only once, in '93, did I go to Jack. I never let a uh, they they never let a contract run out. I never got closer than two years left on my contract. Usually, I had three years on my contract or four. They always had a long-term contract on me, and it, you know, I'd get a five-year contract, and in two years, they'd tear it up and give me a new one, and I'd always take it. Because they'd give me more money. It's like, well, why would I be stupid and let, you know, keep... Why wouldn't I just take it? I was winning races. What else could you ask for? I mean, I, you know... Jeff is smart. Jeff Smith's a smart guy. He would wait till he's won a race or two. Then, hey, I'm going to tear up this contract Get give you a new one. All right. (laughs) Give me a race. I'll take it. You know, so... It was just one of those things where if they would have sent me a contract, I would have signed a contract to go truck racing, and I told them, no, I won't do the O-1 thing. But when that thing came up, does everything I want would have wanted, everything I could have dreamed of. And, and it was. And, man, it was fun. On February 14th, 2007,
0: Roush Racing made another bold move by merging with Fenway Sports Group, the parent company of the Boston Red Sox. That deal ended with Jack Roush selling 50% of the race operation and forming what is now Roush Fenway Racing.
7: I attracted the attention of, of John Henry through a book that was written, Men in Speed, of East Coast writer that had written books about the toy wars and written books around the uh, doctors that did the uh, open arts or the, uh, did the uh, non-invasive uh, catheters and stents and things. He decided he was going to write a story about stock car racing. And his name was Wayne T. Miller, and he wrote this Men in Speed book. And he decided, based on our having the most race teams, I think at the time, that he would uh, embed himself in us and and travel with us for a year. And so he did that. So John Henry, who is a big eye racing guy, he was a guy who would set up a room in his house so that he could race. With computer-based racing for uh, against other people that would have s- steering wheels and and video t- of uh, of screens of racetracks and have brakes and gas and and uh, and uh, and tachometers and that sort of thing. So anyway, he would uh, he would uh, i race with, with uh, people. He would i race with really all over all over the world, and uh, he uh, he owned a stake in this i racing thing. He decided that he wanted to, to spread himself and uh, be a, p- a partner in stock car racing. So he, he read the book. He, was, uh, he raced a lot of the people that drove for me on racetracks and I racing. And uh, he approached me and said he wanted to buy a partner of my team. Would I sell him a, a 50% interest in it? And I said I had no interest in it. And I thought about it for two or three years and I saw the, I actually thought that NASCAR was gonna franchise. And with me sitting with five race teams and not being better uh, healed than I was, I felt that the, my pr- entry price for me owning f- uh, five fortieths of the of the field was something I wouldn't be able to afford on my own. So, uh, with with that uh, anxiety that I had over being able to maintain the the stake and things that I'd built, I took a partner. Took John as a partner, figuring that that uh, he had the the commitment and had the wherewithal to be able to partner with me if we had to buy our franchise and owner uh, that much of, of of NASCAR.
0: Roush Fenway Racing finished off the decade with a win in the 2009 Daytona 500 with Matt Kenseth. Matt Kenseth getting picked up, getting high fives from his crew, from Doug Yates, from his crew chief. Matt, congratulations. You are now a Daytona 500 winner.
5: Oh, man, that's unbelievable. I uh, just really got to thank my uh, my team, first of all, for all the work they did this week. I put them in the hole uh, wrecking on Thursday, and uh, they did just a tremendous job
0: and uh, had a great pit stop, when we really needed it. I mean, that was a killer pit stop, and it gave us a track position to, uh, to be in position to win this thing. Despite winning the biggest race of the season, the organization went to victory lane just twice more that year. It was a sign of things to come as the operation would endure some of its most difficult times. In our next episode, we cover the hardships of today's Roush Fenway Racing. For Greg Biffle, he is going back to Victory Lane here at Michigan. I've been in this sport a while, and I've been the up and down. And, uh, you know, I can clearly remember these some of these guys out here that are at the top of the list right now, lapping them every nearly every week. You know, there goes that guy, you know, as we go on to finish in the top five positions. So, you know, the, the cycle's changed, and it's easy to, you know, jump ship when the cycle's not in your favor. Until then, I'm Woody Kane. Have a great day. Today's program was a presentation of the Motor Racing Network with studios in Concord, North Carolina and Daytona Beach, Florida. The Many Hats of Jack Roush was written and produced by Rich Colbreth. Tyler Burnett, Alexa Henrian, and Brian Nelson. Any use of the accounts or descriptions contained in this broadcast must be with the express written permission of NASCAR and the Motor Racing Network.
4: With Craftsman, find the tools, equipment, and storage you need at your local Lowe's, Ace Hardware, or Craftsman.com.